Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you, and you're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Good morning and happy Monday, but more importantly, happy Father's Day to all of the fathers out there uh, who celebrated yesterday and who are celebrating over the weekend and I think every day because uh, fathers are so incredibly important to the family structure and Everyone, uh, I think, knows that, and and if uh, if they don't, we are starting to see how even the left is recognizing that uh, fathers are very important to us, not only civil society but uh, to the family unit. And it's interesting how uh, it always comes back to uh, the truth of the biblical worldview and that solutions presented to. Uh, our communities for the problems that uh, we encounter and to sin and the problems of evil and uh, all of the crime in our society uh, really come back to solutions that are grounded in the biblical worldview. And I was reading an article yesterday from uh, the Washington Times that said that, uh, you know, D.C. and some other legislators are actually suggesting that Shocker, uh, dads get more involved with their kids so that they can prevent, help prevent crime. And I just thought, well, you know, that's exactly what the Bible says. And to all of the fathers that are really making a difference in your family, it's so incredibly important. Um, I'm, I have been very, very greatly blessed to have grown up in a Christian home and with uh, solid parents. And as much as we can all look back and, and see certain touch points of our life and uh, ministry and vocation and um, and just our lives as a whole, uh, parents definitely have the most profound impact. And um, I was texting my dad yesterday and uh, telling him Happy Father's Day and just saying, you know, the older that I get, the more I realize how uh, profoundly important all of the life lessons that he taught me have, uh, and he still teaches me, have been, and uh, his presence and his faithfulness to our family, to my mom, and um, and also just to, to give me um, a sense of belonging and knowing that um, even while I am still single, I am part of a family because um, I have my family and they love me and encourage me and point me more toward Christ. And I hope that everyone recognizes how important family is. So to all of the fathers and especially to the fathers of very strong-willed daughters, <laughs> I commend you and I hope that you had a wonderful weekend. But I want to start uh, today by talking about truth and also judgment, Uh, because when we talk about speaking truth, the basic assumption of our ability to speak truth is first our ability to know truth. So knowledge requires defining the contours of what is truth and what is not truth. And so truth necessarily then has to be outside of our own subjective sense of reality or a relativistic framework. Because if we are constrained 
to a definition of truth that's dependent on our own experience, like what the left would tell you, then truth doesn't exist until our experience. And that is fundamentally illogical. So Christians talk about speaking truth, and we talk so much on this program that we have to speak truth. We have to continue to promote the truth of the biblical worldview. And we need to always be clear that we aren't speaking in relative terms. And what I mean by that is that we're not speaking a truth that only people who affirm our faith and beliefs also believe is true. I don't have to first engage someone and say, please become a Christian and and believe what I believe, and then I can tell you that I'm speaking truth. Truth is universal. We are also firm as Christians that we can know truth that is binding for everyone. So truth is not just a matter of our own personal convictions, personal experiences, or private beliefs. We do have independent convictions. We do have personal experiences that inform us, but we also know that truth is universal. So I was reading a a really, really great essay that's from kind of a larger collection um, that is touching on some of the philosophies of Thomas Aquinas. And uh, this, this particular essay talks about relativism and subjectivity. And I want to just read this portion because this touches on uh, what we're talking about this morning. So, uh, so this goes on to say that relativism and uh, Alan Bloom, who holds, who, who is a philosopher, who holds that education is the movement from darkness to light also makes the following unabashed statement at the beginning of his best-selling book, The Closing of the American Mind. He says, quote, there is one thing a professor can be absolutely certain of. Almost every student entering university believes or says he believes that truth is relative, unquote. And this was a book back in the 80s. So imagine, you know, now, 40 years later, how even more true Haha, that statement is. Um, So this essay goes on to say, the students to whom Bloom refers do have values, but the light by which they grasp them appears so faint that it does not provide these young relativists with a conviction that such values are more real than their opposites. Consequently, they withdraw from judging certain things to be true or good and others to be false or evil. This twilight mentality, however, has not proven to be particularly disconcerting. In fact, it is usually taken to indicate the presence of a virtue, that of so-called open-mindedness. So Professor Bloom would have relativists abandon the distinction between truth and falsity, good and evil, becomes sharp. But relativists try to justify their opposition to making such sharp distinctions in the interest of preserving their attitude of equality toward everyone and everything. Doesn't that sound like the relativists and everybody that you're debating today? So rather than judge what is good, they prefer to judge that it is good not to judge. Nonetheless, the ideological world of equality, tolerance, and open-mindedness thereby constructed is precisely that, an ideological construction, having no foundation in reality and offering no practical guidelines by which people can conduct their lives. 
When Plato, at the beginning of book seven of his Republic, drew a sharp distinction between the darkness of the cave and the brilliance of the noontime sun, he was anticipating in his own way St. Paul's remark that, quote, light and darkness have nothing in common. Light and darkness are not equal. Therefore, the relativist position that deems them to be so fails to demonstrate the virtue of open-mindedness and illustrates the vice of closed-mindedness. To be open-minded without any prospect of grasping truth, to be always in a state of intellectual suspense, defeats the purpose of being open-minded and reveals a condition of empty-mindedness. So in this sense, an open mind is not more fulfilling than an empty stomach. To be open is to always be empty. And isn't, isn't this interesting? Because this is also getting into some of the more uh, Eastern mystic religions where instead of filling our mind with truth, as the Bible admonishes, the whole practice of meditation is to empty your mind. And this goes completely in the face of what God tells us in scripture, which is to meditate on something. What is it? Meditate on the things that God has told you. Meditate on truth. Meditate on him, not to empty our minds. So this is interesting to me that so much of this is wrapped around in all of these, what does the Bible call them? Empty philosophies. So this essay goes on to then talk about skepticism as well. And says this, a relativist may have his values, but he does not hold to them with enough strength that he would have any reason to object to a contradictory set of values. A skeptic would not be sure he had his own values, however subjective and tenuous their basis might be. The relativist can say, this is true for me, but perhaps not true for you. Whereas the skeptic would say, I'm not sure this is true for either of us. And so, by contrast, for the Christian, we are neither relativists nor skeptics. We can be skeptics on some issues, but we are certain on basic fundamentals of truth, mainly that truth is knowable and discoverable, and that truth is the person of God. So, how does the Bible contrast from relativism and skepticism? Well, if we go to Second uh, Peter 1, Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are the righteousness of God our Savior, Jesus Christ, having received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Through what? Through our knowledge of him who is called by his own glory and goodness. Through these things, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ." 
but whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For you do these, if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what is Peter talking about here? That we make every effort to add to our faith. This isn't just some belief or some relativistic framework that suggests that speaking truth is merely a matter of evangelism, but it's a matter of being certain in our Savior. And so I, I also, in, in the midst of, of reading this um, yesterday and reading this passage in in, uh, in uh, Second Peter, that it struck me kind of anew that all of these things end as we increase and add to our faith. It ends in love because you can't have true love and exercise that without having a knowledge of the truth of the Lord. It says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. In the midst of this culture that tells us we have to just go based on our feelings, we can't know anything other than personal experience, everything is relative, we need to be so open-minded, and that open-mindedness is a virtue. Non-judgment is a virtue. We have to be fixed on the promises of God and growing in our knowledge of him so that we can push back on these empty philosophies and deceit that are in our culture. So add to your faith daily so that we can get to exercising true love in our communities and that we can judge righteously knowing that we are pointing to the supreme judge of the universe. And I would encourage you with that this morning, and we will be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. I hope you have gotten a lot of coffee for today. <laughs> I definitely have, and we'll be right back. Here's Bert Harper on the AFA Fishbowl Retreat 2023. We are so determined to come alongside the church and to support pastors who share Christ with others, but also stand in the gap for righteousness. And Fishbowl will encourage that pastor to be that kind of a man. Bert and his wife Jan are hosting again this year with speakers Jeff and Debbie Shreve from Real Truth for Today. Every difficulty that comes into your life and my life, it's a test of faith. The stormy sea where Jesus is asleep in the boat, that's a test of their faith, and they didn't do very well. And so most of the time when we ask that question why, God's response is, my child, just trust me. The AFA Fishbowl Retreat 2023, September 26th through the 28th at the Riverbend Retreat Center in beautiful Glen Rose, Texas. Register at repairingthefoundations.net. 
repairingthefoundations.net or call 662-844-5036, extension 297. This is Pause to Pray. A chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Admiral Linda Fagan, Commandant to the United States Coast Guard. She leads the branch of the military responsible for maritime security, search and rescue in law enforcement. Psalm 37.5 reminds us of qualities of a good leader. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. Right now with this in mind, would you be so kind to pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we ask you to guide Admiral Linda Fagan as she leads the men and women of the United States Coast Guard each day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes. Stand by for news and commentary next. Liberty University's K-12 Online Academy is the best of a homeschool, private school, and Bible-based education all rolled into one. With LUOA, you can take charge of your child's learning environment and create a structured yet flexible schedule that works for your family. Our qualified teachers are easily accessible for guidance and support along the way. And with new classes starting every Monday, it's never too late to make the switch to LUOA. To learn more, text LUOA to 88741. That's LUOA to 88741. There's been no lack of courageous and inspirational stories coming from Ukraine. Celebrities and athletes, regular Joes, setting aside their careers, their lives to fight for their country. Life put on hold. Yurena and Savatslav were scheduled to be married in May. The bride, just 21, the groom, 24. But they decided to forego their lavish spring wedding once war broke out. The young couple met with their parents and announced their intentions to marry right away so they could join the fight to stop the Russian invaders. They were married at a monastery, and just a few hours later, the newlyweds joined the military. Urena traded her wedding dress for camo and a gun. She grew up in Kiev, told a reporter she'll do whatever it takes to protect her city. And one day, the Ukrainian newlyweds hoped to enjoy that honeymoon, once forsaken, in a free and prosperous and liberated nation. I'm Todd Stearns. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And as we are looking at the news of the day as well this morning, I want to bring in my next guest, who is our good friend Greg Jarrett, who is a contributor and legal analyst at Fox News and uh, one of the best legal scholars, in my opinion, and uh, someone that I've uh, collaborated with and discussed all kinds of things from, you know, the first impeachment of Trump to uh, the second and all kinds of things in between. And now this uh, indictment of Donald Trump and uh, and Greg, you know, while there are a lot of people, including um, former Attorney General Bill Barr and others who say that, uh, you know, this is a pretty slam dunk case. You have a piece out from last week that the title is Trump's indictment is not the slam dunk case. Liberal media believes it is. So uh, good morning. And what is your contention here? Good morning. Good to be with you, Jenna. Well, look, um, the media, the mainstream media, liberal media, you know, are convicting Trump in the court of public opinion, pronouncing that he's guilty of crimes 
frankly, the, you know, their pronouncement is, you know, driven by a blinding political bias and, and ignorance of the law. They don't appreciate that uh, an indictment is simply a set of accusations often inflated and that, you know, a defendant, in this particular case, Donald Trump, has several viable defenses. I'm skeptical that this case will, uh, you know, be a speedy trial as the special counsel wants because, you know, Trump, his legal team, is they're going to file pretrial motions challenging the 37 charges in a Florida grand jury indictment. They're going to claim the Presidential Records Act takes precedence over uh, the Espionage Act, and that's most of the charges. They're going to claim it's selective prosecution, which is a violation of Trump's due process rights. They're going to claim the warrant, the search warrant, was overly broad and, and the evidence should be excluded. They're certainly going to uh, seek to suppress or exclude the testimony of Trump's lawyer, Evan Corcoran. Um, and if you knock out some of these charges in pretrial motions, that may also knock out obstruction of justice. You can't obstruct non-crime. So, you know, I, journalists who are unschooled in the law are so anxious to convict Trump, I'd pay no attention to them. <laughs> well, this is why uh, legal analysis from people who actually know what they're talking about uh, is always wiser for people to pay attention to. And it's remarkable to me, Greg Jarrett, to see how much this has all just been talked about politically and in the court of public opinion, not as much the legal. And so if you love Trump, you're totally convinced that this is just another witch hunt. If you hate Trump, then you're totally convinced that he's the worst criminal ever and lock him up for 400 years. Um, and so right. I think you're totally right on that. Um, but one of the other things that I really want to get your take on as well that hasn't been talked about in the mainstream media, at least that I've seen, is the is uh, Walt Nada and and it, who is Trump's alleged co-conspirator? His lawyer Stanley Woodward actually alleged in a court filing that during a meeting with prosecutors, the head of the counterintelligence section of the DOJ's National Security Division, and this is this is a quote from his court filing quote suggested Woodward's judicial application for a DC Superior Court judgeship might be considered more favorably if he and his client cooperated against Trump unquote i mean if that is accurate then i mean this is just wild misconduct oh it absolutely is it's prosecutorial misconduct in the extreme, uh, you know, and, and, you know, Americans should be horrified at something like that. Um, and there are other examples. Uh, you know, Tim Palatori has described his experience in front of the grand jury. He was uh, one of Trump's uh, many lawyers, and he voluntarily went in to testify. And he recounts 45 different episodes of how prosecutors egregiously violated uh, Trump's uh, rights. And, you know, so I think these two, Jenna, are all going to be uh, subject to challenge by Trump's lawyers. It doesn't surprise me. This is the sort of thing that special counsel Jack Smith has historically done. 
He utterly bungled uh, his prosecution of John Edwards. Uh, he ruined the life and career of uh, Governor Bob McDonald and was spanked by the U.S. Supreme Court uh, that rejected uh, his legal theories unanimously. I mean, this is a guy with an abysmal track record, and some of the lawyers uh, at the DOJ who were working for him, one in particular, uh, was actually fired for prosecutorial misconduct. So these are thuggish tactics, but is anyone really surprised that those tactics are being used against Donald Trump? Well, I think what's more surprising is this selection of Jack Smith. And the more that we learn about him and his background and the more that at least you know the media is reporting on this, it's actually surprising to me that the DOJ would and Garland would would have him as the the person who is running this when you have somebody who, as you said, a nine zero opinion from the U.S. Supreme Court saying, no, 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 that this this prosecution, you know, w- was not okay. And, I mean, that's just embarrassing as a record right. for a prosecutor. And so does this just, to you, feel like, like the DOJ is basically just saying, well, we don't care and we think we're going to get away with, you know, wh- whatever the, the substance of, of the legal um, theories are, they just feel like they're going to get away with, with persecuting Trump, and so therefore they don't even care, and they want to bring in somebody with this type of record. I mean, this doesn't even have really, at least in the court of public opinion, an appearance of ethics, of basic, yeah. you know, prosecution. I, I, I agree, but, you know, again, is anybody surprised? Uh, look at the conduct, the misconduct, the abusive nature of uh, the Bob Mueller, you know, witch hunt over collusion. He stacked his uh, team of prosecutors with hyperpartisans led by Andrew Weissman, one of the most despicable attorneys uh, you will ever meet. And so this is what the DOJ does. They, you know, they have immense power, unlimited resources, and, you know, they go after people they don't like by hook or by crook. You know, and that's what they're doing with the selection of, of Jack Smith here. It's, you know, it's not even close to being objective, fair, and neutral. Right. And I'm speaking with Greg Jarrett, who is a legal analyst and contributor at Fox News and also the author of the brand new book that you have to get, which is called Trial of the Century, talking about the Scopes Monkey Trial. And uh, Greg, you were so kind to send me a copy of this book. And um, and I, I just I, I've started reading it and I love it. Um, it, Thank you. You're such a great writer, and um, so really appreciate it. And I want to ask you more about the book in, in a moment. Um, but the last thing on the indictment, then, because um, you know we we know that this process is going to be lengthy. I mean, speedy trial for you know what that's worth. I mean, people, you know, you can toll uh, the the court date. There are so many pretrial motions. Speedy doesn't actually mean speedy anymore in the sense that the Constitution contemplated it. Um, So, you know, I don't think that this is going to be resolved anywhere close to the election. Um, So what is your prediction on how this is going to impact the primary? And also, if President Trump is indicted further out of the continued investigations that are still ongoing, how may that factor into this as well? Well, it's hard to know the impact on the election. 
uh, you know, Peggy Noonan, who hates Donald Trump, uh, a conservative writer in the Wall Street Journal, wrote a column called The Indictment Can Only Hurt Trump. And yet, you look at uh, some of the polling data, in fact, all of the polling data, and it consistently shows that the indictment hasn't hurt Trump so far. And the reason, I think, is because people in America are, you know, they're very smart, and they do pay attention, and they realize, especially after the Russia hoax, that Trump has been targeted for partisan political reasons by people who loathe him, uh, people at the FBI, people in the DNC that paid for a phony anti-Trump dossier, uh, people at the Department of, of Justice who've gone after him with a vengeance, and they realize that this is selective prosecution, unequal application of the law. And a great many people are angry about it. Uh, and so, in, indeed, it seems to have, uh, in many ways, increased uh, the support for Donald Trump uh, among GOP primary challengers. So, you know, this is uncharted territory. We have never seen an incumbent president prosecute his political opponent in, uh, in advance of an upcoming presidential election. Uh, you know, Joe Biden didn't need to tell Merrick Garland to prosecute Donald Trump. Garland long ago received his marching orders, uh, and he's done two things. He has gone after his boss's political opponent and protected his boss. You know, there are documents that implicate Joe Biden in his son's many multi-million dollar influence peddling schemes. Uh, thankfully, the FBI having bury the evidence. Thankfully, the uh, Oversight Committee is now uncovering incriminating information. Uh, so eventually, I hope the truth comes out, but who knows how this affects the electorate. Mm, really well said. And the piece is uh, titled, Trump's indictment is not the slam dunk case. Liberal media believes it is. That's by Greg Jarrett at foxnews.com. And uh, Greg, I want to turn now in the last uh, three or four minutes we have here to your book, uh, The Trial of the Century, because this is really, uh, as one review puts it, which I think is apt, a masterfully crafted exploration of a landmark legal case that gripped the nation. And, you know, for people who... Um, kind of see some of these legal precedents and they're, they're esoteric. I mean, w one of the things that I loved about studying law was learning the the factual history and what actually gave rise to some of these precedents because um, you, the, these legal cases aren't just argued in a vacuum uh, like sometimes what we see, you know, handed down from the Supreme Court and it's just kind of this esoteric legal opinion. I mean, these are real people with real stories and I think you do such a great job in this book, The Trial of the Century, um, really bringing that story to light. And so um, so what prompted you to write this book, and uh, what can people expect from it? Well, I read about the trial when I was just a teenager uh, in a biography about my hero, Clarence Darrow, the greatest trial lawyer who ever lived. And he stood up for civil liberties and free speech when it was in serious jeopardy in the Scopes Monkey trial. He took on popular opinion. 
You know, almost 100 years ago when the trial took place in Dayton, Tennessee, they were banning books on science, particularly evolution. They made it a crime in Tennessee for a teacher uh, to, to teach evolution in a public school classroom. And John Scopes was quickly arrested. Darrow came to his rescue, volunteered to defend him uh, against the prosecutor who happened to be the great fundamentalist leader, William Jennings Bryan. And in a stroke of genius, towards the end of the trial, Darrow knew he was losing in front of a biased jury and a biased judge. He called Bryan to the witness stand, the prosecutor, and he totally eviscerated him. And yes, Scopes was convicted. It was later overturned. But Darrow swayed public opinion, and they stopped banning books. They stopped punishing teachers by criminally charging them. A pivotal moment in American history. And, and, you know, fast forward to today, Jenna, and, you know, we're once again seeing an assault on free speech, uh, you know, with censorship and uh, disinformation campaigns, classroom indoctrination. So, you know, people who don't know their history, as the old saying goes, are doomed to repeat it. Yeah, Uh, well said. And, you know, what's so fascinating to me is while this case uh, focused on the teacher, now uh, fast forward to today and we're focusing on the parents and even just being involved in their children's education. And, you know, for people like... Um, like Joe Biden and, and the White House that are saying, you know, these are our kids and they belong to society. I mean, I'm sorry, we do not co-parent with the government. And <laughs> and and this, uh, Greg Jarrett, is such an important uh, book. It's very timely. And, and as you said, it's really important that people do learn and understand um, not just about America's founding, which I think conservatives kind of really focus on, you know, 1776 and 1787, but then what has come after that and the legal precedent to get us this far. So where can people uh, find this book? And uh, it's called The Trial of the Century and then also find you. Well, uh, The Trial of the Century is available in bookstores nationwide. You can order it online, barnesandnoble.com, amazon.com, or you can simply go to my own website, uh, thegregjarrett.com, and uh, you can order it there. So I invite people to check it out. I I really do think it was the trial of the century. You know, I I cover the O.J. Simpson case, (laughs) And it pales in comparison to the importance of the Scopes Monkey Trial. Wow. Well, Greg Jarrett, my friend, thank you so much for joining for all of your legal analysis as always. And we will be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. Weekday mornings at 8 central, Pastor Jeff Shreve offers real truth for today. I'm the pastor of First Baptist Church in Texarkana, Texas, and the founder of From His Heart Ministries. The world around us is rapidly changing, but God and His truth will never change. I may be the host of the show, but I want God's Word and His truth to be the star of the show. Join Pastor Jeff Shreve each weekday morning at 8 central for real truth for today on American Family Radio. 
target is in the bullseye because of its transgender bathroom policy. A petition by the American Family Association to boycott Target now surpassing a million signatures and counting. People have their own beliefs and stuff, but what can it hurt? What can it hurt? What can it hurt? What can it, hurt? it hurts our daughters. It hurts you. It hurts our families. It hurts me. It hurts all of us. Sign the petition to boycott Target at AFA.net. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. We live in an era currently where spirituality is in vogue. Christ following is not. Some even claim to love Jesus while simultaneously rebelling against his word and encouraging others to rebel similarly. But Jesus said it himself, If you love me, you will obey me. Whoever does not love me does not obey my words. Make no mistake about it. To love Jesus is to obey him. You cannot love Jesus and disobey him. If you're living in open rebellion against Jesus' word, you're not following Jesus as he's revealed himself in Scripture. You're following a God you've created. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that's MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for health care can save the typical family 500 bucks a month, and that's huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The customer satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works. It's been around for more than a quarter century, and members have shared more than $3 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want a plan you're happy with, you can call right now and get a price within two minutes. A very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And if some of you uh, work for some of the more woke companies uh, like, like my dad and my brother do, then you may have today off because it is now a federal holiday Yes, Juneteenth is uh, observed now across the nation as if we needed yet another woke federal holiday. But here we are. And um, I'm very happy to say that I'm here at AFR today because we are not woke. We don't plan on getting woke anytime soon. So you're welcome for that. And I really appreciate that uh, AFR continues to simply uh, speak truth. But you may have also been bombarded by the headlines this morning, like this one, from Time Magazine. When did slavery really end in the U.S.? The complicated history of Juneteenth. And so uh, this is going to be more and more in the news all day today. And so to talk about uh, this holiday and why the myopic focus from the woke liberal left, um, I'd like to welcome in my good friend, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, who, of course, was a former member of Congress and a candidate for governor from the great state of Texas. So good morning, my friend. How are you? Good morning. It's great to be with you, Jenna. And I pray that you enjoy the nice Father's Day weekend with your father. 
Thank you so much. Yes, I, I really enjoyed celebrating Father's Day yesterday. Uh, but, you know, I don't I don't really consider today much of a holiday. So uh, what it, what is Juneteenth and the history of this and why are we even talking about it? Yeah. Yeah, well, let's uh, let's do a little historic study. Uh, back in September of 1862, there was a battle called Antietam. It is known as the uh, bloodiest day in U.S. military history. 22,000 were killed. But it ended up being a draw, and actually the Union saw it as a victory. And therefore, what Abraham Lincoln and many others, to include Frederick Douglass, was pushing him to do was finally sign this thing called Emancipation Proclamation, which is what he did on the 1st of January of 1863, which basically said that the slaves in the South were free. Unfortunately, they did not have Internet back then, and the word did not get out to the uh, slaves in Texas until after the Civil War, actually, uh, June the 19th of 1865. And that was when the word came to them in Galveston, Texas, that uh, they were indeed free. So it became known as Juneteenth. It was something that has never been a national holiday. It's something that is recognized, uh, especially here in Texas, as the day that the slaves found out they were free. But like you said, with the woke uh, Democrats and Joe Biden, they tried to seize upon this and turn it into a national holiday when really they were the ones that stood against the Democrat Party, stood against the Emancipation Proclamation. They are the party of slavery, always have been. And if they want to talk about the continuation of slavery, it is now not a physical uh, bondage, but it is uh, economic bondage, and that's what they are putting forth with their soft bigotry of low expectations. That's so well said and such a great point, uh, Alan West. And, you know, it it is something we're obviously celebrating our history in the sense of uh, not only understanding it, studying it, um, but then also recognizing that, you know, we have hopefully in this country continued to create a more perfect union. And we do have uh, things in our past that we should learn from and um, and obviously yep. understanding the Emancipation Proclamation and the whole history of the Civil War, all of that. But I think that this has been so weaponized by the left to somehow suggest that specifically, you know, Republicans and uh, and, and anyone who is white in America deserves to forever be apologetic to people of color and, you know, still and have this whole reparations argument and all of this, Mm -hmm. which I just think continues to divide people and to suggest that somehow we all need to continue to apologize for our nation's history instead of recognize that we're all we're all sinners and we can point to things in our past and say, you know, th- th- good or bad, make judgment calls based on a standard of truth and then move forward together to create a more perfect union. But as you said, that's not where Joe Biden and the Democrats are. And so, you know, for people who are uh, maybe not aware of why the left is so myopically focused now on this idea of Juneteenth, um, I just see them weaponizing it. Yeah, you're correct. And the funny thing is, if anyone is going to be apologizing uh, for slavery and uh, wants to take this day as a, as a stance for issuing an apology, it should be the Democrat Party. 
Because Abraham Lincoln was the first Republican president that this country knew, and the Republican Party was established in 1854 on one single issue, and that was to end slavery, which is something that the Republican Party, with Abraham Lincoln, did with the 13th Amendment, opposed by the Democrats, and then citizenship, uh, 14th Amendment, opposed by the Democrats, 15th Amendment, right to vote, opposed by the Democrats. And so they should be the ones apologizing. But what is the real great story Coming out of Juneteenth was that, as we said, June the 19th of 1865, the slaves here in Texas found out they were free. Two years later, in Houston, Texas, 150 black men came together with 20 white men, and they established what is now the largest state Republican Party in the United States of America, and that's the Republican Party of Texas. The Republican Party of Texas was founded by 150 black men on July the 4th, Independence Day of 1867. So basically four years after the uh, Emancipation Proclamation, and then two years after finding out they were finally free, black men established the Republican Party in Texas, not the Democrat Party, the Republican Party. Hmm. And this is so important to understand our history and not allow the left to continue to manipulate things. Because if you look at mainstream media, Alan West, you look at the talking points from the leftists, you look at social media, all of this suggests that it's the Republican Party that is the party of white supremacy and extremism. I mean, mm-hmm. they love to say this, you know, that that we're just so far right extremists and, you know, too extreme. I mean, that was a, a prolific headline in the midterms, and they opposed every Republican candidate pretty much um, by this painting and this label of extremism. And unfortunately, though, I think that they are somewhat effective in that narrative for a population that doesn't have an understanding of history. And, you know, like I was just talking to Greg Jarrett in the last segment about, um, you know, his new book and and talking about, you know, the history of um, some of the jurisprudence and precedent. I mean, these are things that we have to be teaching our young people. And yet the left are the ones that will continue to oppose parents being involved in the education of their children and involved in the curriculum in schools that are teaching a totally different history. They're teaching, you know, the whole 1619 project. They're teaching this woke ideology. And so, you know, what's your encouragement to to parents? And, you know, after Father's Day weekend and, you know, being a parent yourself, what's your encouragement to parents and specifically fathers to combat this false ideology and to train up children in the way they should go, as the Bible says, so that when they're older, they won't depart from it. Well, it is incumbent upon us as parents to be the parents, to be the adults, to have these talks, to sit down and not allow our kids to be indoctrinated, uh, but to find the answers uh, within their own home. But if we don't take that as our responsibility, then someone else will. And so when you look at it in the broader sense, today should be a day that the Republican Party, uh, the RNC, should be talking about the real history of Juneteenth and how it came about, because it's a fulfillment of the establishment of the Republican Party in 1854 to end slavery, to end that physical bondage. And again, we should have that being talked about here in the the, uh, state of Texas, because 
the uh, freed black man created the Republican Party of Texas. So if we're not out talking about our history, we're not out telling these stories and having these conversations with our children and our communities and our churches, then someone else will. And I think that is the void that we have allowed to be created. And as you, as you well know, uh, one of the laws of physics is if, is if you create a void, something will fill it. Mm, and that is really the the bottom line challenge here, because if we are not educating our own kids, then someone else will. And Joe Biden and his White House saying, you know, these kids are our kids and they're I mean, it started, you know, Hillary yeah. Clinton, it takes a village and all of this nonsense. Uh, of course, the left wants to purposefully come and teach your children false, empty doctrines full of deceit. If uh, we are not teaching children and, you know, and, and it, it goes beyond just, you know, one hour of Sunday school a week and, you know, mm-hmm. kind of what, what I call the, you know, the felt board uh, Jesus of, you know, all of these, the, the Bible stories. And I don't even like to call it story because then it makes it sound like it's just, you know, a fiction like a Disney movie. I mean, we need to be teaching our kids values and the truth of scripture and also to understand how our society, Alan West, was built on a Christian foundation so that we can protect and preserve liberty for future parents and future generations to educate our kids. And, you know, in the last few minutes that I have with you here as well, I want to get um, your comments on one other thing, because I know you're, you're in Texas and so focused on uh, the border issue. And um, Representative yeah. Lauren Boebert introduced articles of impeachment against Joe Biden and Kamala Harris based on, in part, their failure to secure the border. And um, and I think that this is this is actually legally substantive. Um, I think there are a number of legally substantive claims and bases that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris um, and others in the executive branch can and should be impeached. Um, but first of all, before we get into the legal substance, um, it seems like nobody pays attention to this. I mean, I, I very clearly remember because I was uh, this was when I came on board working for President Trump that when Nancy Pelosi, you know, announced these articles of impeachment, this was like fanfare in the media and solemn and like the most profound, you know, the worldwide attention. And now it seems like, you know, Republicans just file these things and the uh, the party doesn't even care. It's like she's not even getting any support for this. And it's embarrassing, in my opinion. It's totally embarrassing because either we are a nation of laws, which is what a constitutional republic is supposed to be, or we're not. And everyone should stand up when they see a violation of the rule of law, which is what is happening on our border. Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution is very clear. It's called the Guarantee Clause, and the federal government is supposed to guarantee to every state in the union to protect them from invasion. What we have happening is clearly an invasion, especially when you look at the amount of single military-aged males coming across. But when you have over 100,000 Americans have lost their lives because of this chemical uh, poisoning, this chemical war that we're in, uh, sponsored by China, which is the fentanyl, uh, and nothing is being done about it. So you're right. Uh, the federal government under Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, have abdicated their constitutional duty and responsibility. They're in violation of the Constitution. They are undermining the sovereignty of the United States of America. Show me where it says that the President of the United States of America can create a, an app 
to give people parole outside of this country so they can enter illegally. He does not have that enumerated power. So uh, I think this is very important. And shame, again, on the Republican Party, the RNC, and not standing up and pushing this, just the same as there seems to be silence about this thing called Juneteenth. Yeah, exactly. And this is where I am so frustrated with the National Republican Party. And like you said, I mean, I don't the RNC, in my opinion, is like the most useless organization in the country. I refuse to donate to it. I uh, I registered unaffiliated in my former home state of Colorado uh, back in 2021, just saying like, you know, this this party does not represent my values anymore and, and Christian values, but they're also not accomplishing anything. And so, it, you know, you've been um, a former member of Congress wide in your opinion now that there is a majority of republicans why is there seemingly no appetite to actually pursue impeachments with a majority even of you know department of homeland security secretary and you know some of these others that realistically can and should be pursued and then forced to a trial in the senate republicans do not have the same killer instinct that the democrats have and, you know, in, in, in the minority, they're tenacious, and the majority, they're tyrannical. But Republicans are afraid of their own shadow, and they, and they want to play by these Marquis de Cuisenberry rules that they in place upon themselves instead of understanding that we're in a knife fight. Well, actually, we're in a gunfight, and you cannot have these uh, restraints put on yourself. We have to do what is necessary to protect the American people, to protect this constitutional republic. And I do not believe that the current leadership in the Republican Party, being at the RNC, being at, over in the Senate with Mitch McConnell, being at Kevin McCarthy in the House, that they're capable of doing that. Look at how they just punted away this thing called the Fiscal Responsibility Act. When they passed legislation, they didn't need to go into negotiation with the president. They should have forced them to pass a bill and then reconcile that bill. That's right. Order. So I don't think the Republicans uh, have the spine to be able to uh, stand up to this, these, these establishment Republicans that we have. But when you have young ladies like Lauren Boebert and many others, the 20 that stood up uh, back during the uh, nomination for the speaker election, those are the type of people we need to have in charge that will go on offense and not always play in defense. Mm, so well said. Well, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, always appreciate your time. And he is the host of the Steadfast and Loyal podcast. You can find that at allenwest.substack.com for more. And we are already out of time. And uh, we'll tackle more of today's headlines tomorrow right here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. But tune in this afternoon. Uh, For the Hamilton Corner, our good friend Abe Hamilton is going to be out today, so I get to guest host for him. Looking forward to seeing you there on AFR. And as always, you can reach me, Jenna, at AFR.net and love hearing your thoughts. Make it a great day and continue, continue always to speak the truth of the gospel of Christ everywhere you can. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.